The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 5. The word blessed in our modern vernacular usually means that one enjoys good health, material prosperity, perhaps strong family relationships. But according to Scripture, you may have all of these things and still not be blessed in the sight of God. In fact, you may actually lack many or most of these things and still be blessed if you possess the one thing required for entrance into the kingdom of heaven, faith in Jesus Christ. The Beatitudes are the characteristics of those who believe in God, the identity markers of those who follow His Son. As we continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount, we will look this morning at the first two of the eight Beatitudes. Please follow as I read. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This is God's word. Father, we pray that you might give us insight and wisdom to these simple but profound words. May they bear much fruit in our hearts and our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Bob Fu, our speaker for our upcoming 2018 Missions Conference, writes in his book, God's Double Agent, how he grew up poor in a small Chinese village, raised by disabled parents. Sometimes they ate the bark off the trees or boiled strips of leather to make them edible. His nickname as a child was Cheap. But with intelligence and hard work, Bob managed to enter a good high school, be accepted to a teacher's college, and even go on to grad school. In college, Bob was a student leader, a favorite among the professors and even the college president. And he was a leader on the campus student movement, which protested government corruption and and harsh practices. Bob was a rising star until the communist government began to crack down on the student movement, which made international news when tanks and soldiers turned upon students in the Tiananmen Square massacre of 1989. Bob's position and privileges were swiftly taken from him. He was interrogated ruthlessly. He was under constant surveillance. The authorities pressured his friends to all turn against him. And after months of such harsh treatment with little hope for his future, which now looked bleak with poverty, he became bitter, depressed. He consoled himself with thoughts of killing the college president who had betrayed him and then taking his own life. But the story of a Chinese reformer who had found 
Christ fell into his hands. Bob was struck by the story of a man who sought out to reform a broken country to be reformed himself by the one called Christ. While Bob had been quite poor, he now saw the true poverty of his soul before a holy God. He also saw that his ambitions for reform were largely self-serving and empty. He knew that communism was corrupt, but even his hope for democratic reform is paled in comparison to the joy of worshiping, knowing, and serving the one who was the true hope of the world for all those who mourn over sin and death. This depressed student changed almost overnight, becoming a joyful, fervent spokesman for Christ, gaining the attention of his fellow students and faculty, going on to lead his future wife to Christ along with many others. Bob's work continues today, and you will hear more of his story as well as the persecuted church at our 2018 missions conference. Jesus will go on to say in this sermon, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The kingdom of heaven is for the poor in spirit, like Bob, whose spiritual poverty was met with the riches of God in Christ. The kingdom of heaven is for those who mourn over the sin in this fallen world, an imperfect church, our own brokenness and the brokenness all around us. God's word promises to comfort those who seek consolation in the one, one who alone can provide comfort to needy sinners dwelling in a sin-cursed creation. Each of the eight Beatitudes begin with the word blessed. And the word happy in English is perhaps too superficial to provide an adequate translation. Even blessed itself is not quite adequate. adequate. The biblical idea is that, that to be blessed is more than a subjective feeling. It's an, an objective status. It's actually what God counts us. It's how, what God thinks of us. And the word blessed, it, it means to be made whole, to prosper, but more than just in a material way. It means to acquire and even enjoy God's good and even his best gifts. God blessed the first man and woman and commanded them to be fruitful and multiply. God, can't, God blessed the seventh day and called it holy. God blessed Abraham and promised that through him he would make him a blessing to the nations. David says, blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. But Jesus will say in Luke 14, but when you give a feast, invite the poor the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So does, to be blessed, does that mean doing good deeds for the poor? To such an extent that God will owe us, repay us? Well, many think that, that somehow we can build a treasury of merit in the sight of God to pay our entrance fee in the glory. 
But Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I attended a college that was poor in school spirit. Half the football fans would arrive at the game at halftime, the other half would leave. We were not like Penn State with its successful sports traditions and large fan base that, and widespread alumni network. Jesus is not here talking about people who are lowly because their team lost or because they were down and out on their luck. He is speaking of those who are poor in the ways of the world but rich in the ways of God. The poor in spirit are those who arrive at the gates of the kingdom of heaven empty-handed. They have no means in order to pay their entrance fee. They have no gifts or assets to bribe their way in. To be blessed means to be full, to be filled by God. And you cannot be filled unless you are first empty. In Scripture, a fall always precedes the rising. Humiliation comes before exaltation. Conviction precedes conversion. You must be lost if you are to be found. There is a mountain you must climb, but you cannot. But like those quadriplegics who have made it to the summit of a great peak, you must be carried. There's only one thing that you must have in order to enter heaven. Nothing but faith in Jesus Christ. As the famous hymn, Rock of Ages, says, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Be you rich in good deeds or merit badges that would make an eagle scout envious, the poor in spirit recognize their utter poverty, their insufficiency before God's righteous and holy standards. The only way in is through the righteousness of another. Notice Jesus says, he doesn't say blessed are the poor, but the poor in spirit is not necessarily virtuous to be poor. Poverty is not inherently spiritual. In the parallel passage in Luke 6, it says blessed are the poor, but the context would indicate that Jesus means not of a worldly spirit. The opposite of poor in spirit is not the rich, but the worldly, the worldly in spirit. And so the poor in spirit do not love the world or the things in the world. They will gladly give them up for the, th- for the sake of the kingdom. You can easily leave these matters behind. They are not greatly attached to the things of the world, which is very hard though not impossible for those who have great riches. The world emphasizes self-reliance, self-confidence, self-expression. Believe in yourself. Market yourself. Sell yourself. It's all about you, we hear constantly. But the poor in spirit are humble, self-effacing. But that does not mean that they are weak. Or indecisive. It does not mean that they lack courage. They're not always apologizing. Poor in spirit is not a person- personality trait, as though introverts were more righteous than extroverts. Each is poor in spirit or worldly in spirit, as it so be. We are not born that way. We are born in sin and reborn by the Spirit. 
the poor in spirit, are concerned primarily with pleasing God and not other people. They are much less concerned with making an impression on others as much as in making an impression for the sake of the kingdom. Making less of themselves and making much of Christ. So what is the kingdom of heaven? Well, it's not a place that you can travel to, walk to, ride by car or plane. It's not a geographical location that you can pinpoint on a map, a globe, or find with your GPS system. It cannot be accessed by your passport. They don't take Visa or MasterCard. It is the rule of God. And for some people, the kingdom of heaven is kind of nebulous. It's like Christmas spirit. It's like something that kind of dwells inside of us. It ebbs and it flows, and sometimes it amasses critical mass and when we're surrounded by like-minded people. Now, like you, I enjoy Christmas and its stories and movies that it inspires. But very few Christmas movies get the biblical message right. Most inspire a kind of feel-good message of Christmas spirit and cheer. If enough people will believe in Santa, his sleigh and reindeer will fly. If enough people are kind and generous, then everyone will have plenty. If people would just be content with what they have, the Grinch will return all the stolen goods. Disney gets in on the act with its believe messages, its songs and characters exhorting our young people to believe with a self-esteem boost. Believe in yourself or in the goodness of humanity, or the possibilities of living in a land of, land of the free. Well, Christmas spirit and Disney's belief are both running on borrowed capital, failing to acknowledge that every good gift comes from the hand of God. They both neglect and don't understand the nature of the problem, sin, or the magnitude of the solution the cross. The kingdom of heaven is more than Christmas spirit. The kingdom of heaven is the advance of God's rule. It is territory regained by the victory of Jesus over sin and death, by his cross and resurrection. It is the declaration of God's claim over a spoilt creation and sin-marred image bearers. It's received by faith and spreads as his loyal, loyalists spread the new regime, they recruit those who would turn their backs on the world, the flesh, and the devil to make an alliance with the true King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Well, the poor in spirit are also those who mourn. Now, there are many reasons to mourn in this fallen, broken world. People suffer much. We lose loved ones. We lose our health. We lose financial security, our freedoms, funerals, and Nursing homes are places of mourning where the full brunt of a cursed creation strikes with death, disease, and a low quality of life physically, mentally, relationally. Jesus addresses this kind of mourning. He acknowledges the various afflictions that we suffer in this life. But I believe in this second beatitude, he's inviting his followers to mourn with him and the Father and the Spirit who grieve over the condition of a once perfect world. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. Sin 
entered and brought havoc to the created order. Death entered, bringing along with it disease, decay, shattered dreams, conflict, divorce, rebellion, violence, and oppression. Now, to mourn biblically is not to be stoic, not to be resigned that things are just the way they are without any real hope for improvement. No, biblical mourning is to long for restoration, to believe that God will make all things right, that all injustices will have their day in court, the broken will be fixed, the disabled will walk, the blind will see, the deaf will hear, the mute will speak. Jesus healed many people in his day, but not everybody. He raised people back from the dead, but they all died a second time. Jesus' miracles were a down payment, a pledge on the promise that he would bring in the renewal of all things. Paradise lost would become creation regained in the new heavens and the new earth. But we live in a world that despises mourning. We have a culture that prefers to ignore death, to defeat suffering on its own terms. Biblical mourning is grieving over things that cannot be fixed with government intervention. Our economic resources are technological innovations. It's spiritual mourning over sin, evil, rebellion, and godlessness. We mourn over the state of the family where marriage has been redefined, where more and more children are raised in broken home environments. We mourn how life has cheapened. We mourn the misplacement of priorities where people spend more on their pets than on missions. We mourn over our own sin, our own selfishness. We, to mourn means to commit oneself to self-examination, to be aware of the deceitfulness of sin. Do you mourn over your weak prayer life? Of your lax time in God's word, do you mourn over your lack of concern over lost loved ones and neighbors? Do you mourn, husband, when you neglect your wife, when you're harsh with your children? Do you mourn, wife, when you are severe with your tongue? Do you mourn, young person, when you fritter away and waste your time? Do you mourn, older person, for being judgmental upon the younger generations? Do you mourn over the hatred you feel towards people of different political persuasions, towards other races, towards whoever it is you think is ruining our country? The true mourner is aware of his or her own heart and longs for the grace of God to repent, to provide the comfort and the healing that the gospel provides to sinners. Those who mourn will find comfort from God. Those who repent will make peace with God, enjoy the reconciliation that he provides through his son. The mourner knows that he in his own natural state is not right with God. The world is not right with God, but discovers the joy that God forgives sin through the work of Christ and that he renews all things by the Holy Spirit. Yes, the world mourns, but it's a mourning with great despair that lacks hope. But we mourn with great hope 
because our enemy is defeated. Because God has made a way for us to dwell with him forever. We can affirm with Paul that our sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. Jesus was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He mourned. He wept. He groaned under the weight of the cross. And yet for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Just hours before his trial and crucifixion, Jesus said to the twelve, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. The mourner is not always sad. The sober-minded, he has a solemn and serious joy. Laughter is not foreign to him, though it's not frivolous or cynical. But the laughter of the true believer is like the Proverbs 31 woman who can laugh at the time to come prepared for the day of adversity while mourning for the full and simple who are unprepared for God's judgment. Those who mourn, God will comfort all sorrows, heal all hurts, mend all wounds. The new kingdom of God, there will be no more sorrow, no mourning, no sickness, no darkness, nothing to be fear or for dreaded. And death will be swallowed up forever. Richard Wormbrand, founder of the Ways of the Martyrs, in his book, An Undying Love, recounts the time that he spent as a prisoner under Romanian communist authorities. And in his large cell block to his right was an Orthodox priest who was tortured to the point of death but whose face was serene as he spoke of his hope of heaven and his love for Christ, his face radiated with joy. But to Richard's left was a guard, the one who had tortured the priest. The torturer himself was arrested by his own comrades. You see, the communists not only hated Christians, they also hated other communists. They hated everybody. And they would quarrel and fight amongst themselves and then throw each other into prison and treat one another the way they treated the Christians with cruel beatings, leaving them for dead. This torturer was in physical and spiritual agony. And he cried out for prayer, proclaiming that he was not ready to die. He had committed so many terrible crimes. Then Richard witnessed a miracle. As the priest, the same one who had endured such beatings from this torturer, asked the other prisoners to help him to walk over to the bed of his enemy, he sat down and caressed the head of his murderer and said these words, You are young, and you did not know what you were doing. I love you with all my heart. And if I, a sinner, can love you so much, imagine Christ, who is love incarnate, how much more he loves you. And all Christians whom you have tortured, know that they forgive you, they love you, and Christ loves you. He wishes you to be saved more than you wish to be saved. You wonder if your sins can be forgiven. 
He wishes to forgive your sins more than you wish your sins to be forgiven. And he desires you to be with him in heaven more than you desire to be with him in heaven. He is love. You only need to turn to him and repent. So there in the Romanian prison cell, a murderer made confession to the murdered. And the murderer gave absolution to the murderer. The two men prayed, embraced each other, and both of them died that night. It was Christmas Eve, the time we celebrate the one born, to give comfort to those afflicted for their faith and offers the same comfort to those desperate for forgiveness, those who've committed unpardonable crimes, that they too might find eternal comfort and they believe and repent. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for welcoming us into the kingdom of heaven, for giving us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to believe, and I pray that would be true for each one here. Hear the heart cry of our mourning, and I pray for your comfort with the healing balm of the gospel. Prepare us, equip us to live this week as your witnesses. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.